the most important KPI within the decade of humanity, and I nearly have forgotten to mention, is indeed the return on kindness, and it equals approximately 20%, 20 to 0% more sales without investment. And people often say, no, this is not possible, Bert. When we have a one-to-one -one conversation, they say, I have to admit it's probably even more. You know, kindness is the real currency when we talk about humanity. Because, you know, a kind uh, interaction is something I will remember. Because we will always only remember how you make me feel. And this is what I say in, when we're going back in a basic point-of-sale retail experience. The question is, how, what do people remember when they leave the store? How they were treated? I'm David Kepron, and this is Next Level Experience Design. In 2015, I had finished writing my book, Retail Revolution, and I was in the world of speaking engagements where I was out spreading the message. Anyone who has written a book will tell you that getting it published is just the beginning, while the next really exciting step, though occasionally somewhat tiring, is to be out on the road speaking at conferences and engaging audiences in the ideas that you spent the previous two or more years developing and putting to paper. I had the very good fortune to be invited to speak at the Shopper Brain Conference in Amsterdam, presented by the Neuromarketing Science and Business Association. Speaking at the Shopper Brain Conference was somewhat of an acid test, you know, a way to be able to gauge whether me, the non-neuroscientist but artist, architect, educator, and now author, who happened to spend the past four years deep diving into the world of neuroscience and its interrelationship with customer behavior and emerging digital technologies, would survive in front of an audience full of scientists and neuromarketing practitioners. My son, who I had offered the opportunity to come along with me on the trip, would be busy working on his homework in the hotel lobby, while I, his dad, was out in front of a hundred or more conference attendees talking about the brain and things you might just want to know about how it works if you're proposing to make engaging customer experiences and the influence of digital technologies was having on both the three-pound organ inside your skull and the behaviors of shoppers around the world. I had studied psychology before entering the School of Architecture at McGill University, but digging into the world of neuroscience had a totally different effect on me. I knew that at a base level, there had to be more than just psychology at play when people were on shopping trips and trying to make decisions in the shopping aisle. But my original intuition was there had to be something, maybe something at a base level that was driving behavior that was cross-generationally or cross-culturally or cross-ethnically similar for all of us humans. And so studying neuroscience and the brain structures inside our heads and how things worked became an area of deep study. That fascination hasn't left me, but has only become deeper. 
It seemed like the more that I studied, the more I felt I didn't fully understand. But then again, that probably made some sense because the pace at which discoveries were being made in the neuroscience world were unfolding at such a rapid pace because imaging technologies were now allowing us to see inside the brain in ways that we had never been able to see before. And so there I was, digging into subjects like the mind-body connection and the power of stories and release of neurochemicals in our brains, mirror neurons, and understanding the brain as a pattern-recognizing machine, and doing all of that in front of a couple hundred conference attendees, most of which were neuroscientists. Understanding the brain began to suggest that what I might have understood simply as intuition based on experience and careful observation of how people reacted in places could be augmented with a heft of science that was quite definitive about why people might likely do or feel certain things in spaces based on how the environment around them was designed and the interactions they were having with other people. And so, while at this conference, I sat watching scientists and marketing and advertising executives, thought leaders and design practitioners all talk about the power of the understanding we were coming to about why the brain was so important in guiding decisions about how to make places that were relevant to customers. One of the other speakers and I at the conference struck up a conversation, and it seemed that we were both coming to this world with a deep fascination for about how the understanding of neuroscience would shape interactions between people and brand experience places. Bert Onemuller and I seemed to connect immediately. Bert seemed to have an air of approachable and transparent authenticity. He seemed to be genuine and curious in his willingness to discover new ideas and to hear new insights and different points of views that challenged his preconceptions. He was candid and attentive in our conversations, sharing some of the challenges he was having in terms of understanding the science behind the brain and other subjects such as creating places for relevant customer engagement and leadership. In the past few years, Bert and I both chased different professional paths, but recently Bert and I have reconnected. His enthusiasm to learn and his compassionate approaches to understanding how we as humans might optimize our lived experience hadn't left him. In fact, quite to the contrary, it seemed like it had only become more profound. Bert is a man on a mission. Talking to Bert Onemuller is like opening a compendium of thought leadership seminars that are founded in neuroscience and evolutionary biology. Despite his deep understanding of neuroscience, he is someone that has very much decided to leave his head and lead with his heart. It is perhaps because he has so deeply studied the science that he's able to look inward and understand his own behavior as being a function of where we have come from as a species and how the mind-body connection of our individual systems is just part of a larger, more complex system where individuals resonate and influence the emotional states and behaviors of others. Bert believes that leadership starts with the understanding of the self and that leadership is first and foremost about self-leadership. In fact, he takes it a step further and suggests that leaders should be required to deeply understand and lead themselves before they be put in positions of leading others. Bert often talks about the EPS, the Emotional Positioning System, not a global positioning system. However, his emotional positioning system, that inner sense of who we are and what drives us in making our decisions and creating empathic and relevant relationships to others, 
is in fact a global positioning system of me within the context of a larger whole. He believes that in understanding ourselves, we might then be able to extend our knowledge outwards towards others, deepening our relationships through empathic extension. Bert believes that we are now in what he refers to as the decade of humanity, and he unpacks these ideas in his book, Lead, Speak, Inspire, which has now been translated into five languages. Müller's most important key performance indicator for the decade of humanity is what he calls ROK, Return on Kindness. A core component of this premise is based on the idea of personal responsibility, that we have to develop response ability, our ability to respond appropriately in circumstances that challenge our existing narratives. After working for years in the fast-paced and high-pressured consumer packaged goods industry with companies like Nestle, Bird is now a high-performance business coach and founder of the Neuromerchandising Group. His mission, he says, is spreading knowledge and leadership philosophies in the decade of humanity, a world where people do what they do with passion, a world where companies are role models for society, a truly value-based world. Bert Onemuller is a sought-after keynote speaker, the author of several books of positive psychology, and has more than three decades of entrepreneurial experiences. For Onemuller, he says that, quote, humanity is not a soft or romantic quality, but the precondition for long-term success and profitability. He says that we need to have a much better understanding about human beings and about oneself in order to unlock the full potential of the individual and of corporations. And with that, I welcome Bert Onemuller to the Next Level Experience Design podcast. Hello to Frankfurt. Hello, David. It's a great pleasure to be here. You know, I was thinking about where it was we first connected, and it was uh, a lot of years ago. I'm going to say almost eight or nine years ago, I think at a neuromarketing conference, maybe in Amsterdam or, or something. Is that is that where it was? It, Immediately connection, because I was fascinated with the world of your work, and I was a newbie to the world of neuroscience and uh, trying to... Uh, I was using the conferences actually to determine whether or not I could actually go out legitimately and talk about neuroscience and design and, and, and not get thrown off the stage by a bunch of neuroscientists who do it for a living. But you were very gracious and, and I think we've become quick friends. So it's great after all these years to me finally have this venue to do this kind of thing and talk about the world of your work. So welcome, welcome. This is beautiful. And indeed, it was Amsterdam. It was in October 2015. And I remember your speech and your presentation. You know, I'm also not a scientist. I am more uh, uh, a commercial guy. You know, I grew up in the fast moving consumer good industry. Yeah. And uh, I think, you know, what differentiates probably us from the scientists, we do not want to talk about recipes. What we want to deliver is bread. Something <laughs> to right. eat, you know. <laughs> for our clients, you're right. That's interesting. But we both, I think, made an interesting career over the past, well, for me, over the past 10 years, I'll say, of marrying the world of neuroscience, consumer behavior, the psychology of customer engagement, or the neuroscience of customer engagement into the real practice of designing places and things and uh, brand experiences uh, where, where we sort of leverage those learnings that we have discovered over the years into actionable things that actually um, enhance people's experiences in stores, uh, which has been, for me, sort of a, 
It's been wonderful in a way. I was saying to a friend yesterday, you know, the, the upside is that for many years, I used to rely simply on my experience and my intuition uh, to do things that I thought were right that would make customers happy in stores. But now I actually, uh, it's not just my opinion. Um, I can go to this heft of science and say, no, no, this is exactly what people are going to do because across the board, cross-culturally, cross-racially, cross-geographically, we're all at the base human. And we all, at a baseline, will probably respond the same way to certain things, not discounting certain cultural specificities, but in general, yeah, we're human and we all tend to work off the same base playbook, I'll say, you know, of experience. I can't agree more. And it was approximately the same. I think it was uh, 2009, 2010, somewhere in this time frame. I was always asking myself, why do people say something and behave totally different? Mm. You know, growing up in the fast moving consumer good industry, like I said, we always wanted to understand why do people behave how they behave, especially when it comes to shopping. And we did a lot of research and we, we had the best experts of the world, you know, companies. Uh, I, I had the privilege to work for companies like, like Nestle and Procter and & Gamble. And we had really, uh, how can I say that, excellent researchers. But, you know, I, I, I was really a little bit, uh, how can I say that, confused. And this is when the journey started into this idea of whether a scientist, specifically a neuroscientist, can explain what's going on when somebody says something and behaves differently. And this was mm. the beginning and exactly what you said. What I, what I want to do or what we want to do, we want to take the insights from neuroscience and evolutionary biology, which is a beautiful subject, especially when we talk about humans. And saying that, I do believe we are all humans. Sure. And yes, we do have absolutely more similarities than differences. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, this was uh, the time when we started this idea of neuro merchandising, which was, uh, which is an artificial word, but which is also a methodology. Neuro always means for us having a better understanding of human beings mm -hmm. and combine that with the practical work at the point of sale, merchandising. Sure. selling. And uh, if I may take one step further, I think this is this was the beginning. This is where we met. And in the meantime, I think a lot of things happened when I think about the development in, in multisensorial experiences in spaces, etc, etc. Mm -hmm. Now I, uh, or not, not now, but I, I, I like to to share a, what I can I say, probably an updated formula, which I'd like to call point of sale, which means the space, mm -hmm. plus point of people, which means the people within the space equals point of success. Ah, uh, right. So in, in the last five, six years, I shifted my work more on this point of people in the belief and in the absolute, how can I, because I'm totally convinced that, you know, a lot of people nowadays can create beautiful spaces. But imagine you have the most beautiful multisensorial experience, but the stuff, 
you know, is un unfriendly or, you know, bored right. or scared or whatever it is. It won't be successful. It will not unlock the real potential of the space. So I think this is what I would love to talk a little bit uh, about during our conversation. Sure. You know, it's interesting. I literally just yesterday had this conversation with a friend and I was saying, you know, as an architect designing retail stores or brand experiences, we tend to focus a lot on the customer, the customer, the customer, the customer. What do the customer see? Where does the customer go? What does the customer think? What do they believe? How are they feeling? Will they buy more if you set up a particular, you know, way of uh, engaging them in the store? And, and it occurred to us in a conversation, and this sounds sort of unusual, I suppose, you know, um, <laughs> to, to come out and say this, but we don't often or haven't often in a lot of those discussions talked about the sales associate and that in general, the sales associate is there for six, seven, eight, 10, 12 hour shifts in that store or in that place. And the customer is there for two, three, five, maybe 30 minutes maximum, let's just say, depending on where they're shopping. And the effect of the environment on the sales associate and that causing the sales associate to have a certain sort of emotional state, right? To sort of a certain mood that is a direct influencer on the interaction between customer and sales associate, which leads to the possibility of either enhancing purchases or diminishing purchases, right? So that, and my experience as a customer is often related to whether or not I'm actually having a great interaction uh, with with the sales associate. And and the environment has a direct effect on on that sales associate's, you know, sort of emotional state in place. You know, what are your thoughts about that one? Absolutely, and I think this is what I what I would like uh, what what I would love to talk about exactly what you just described. You know, it's all about this idea of emotions, mm -hmm. and when we when we go deeper into emotions, I I uh, I would like to say we are most and <laughs> mainly and foremost emotional creatures, feeling machines, not so much thinking machines. What I did not know is uh, about emotions are two facts. First, emotions are a universal language. Every human being speaks the same language of emotions. All of these 8 billion people. And, uh, and you know, I, uh, to give a, a stupid example, you know, all, all around the world, People prefer to look into a friendly face instead of an unfriendly face because sure. a friendly face is not a threat. Yes, an right. unfriendly face could be a threat. So this is number one. I think emotions are universal. But the second thing, which is much more, how can I say it, relevant when it comes to emotional resonance, emotional attachments, is the fact that emotions are very, very, very contagious. After mm -hmm. the COVID era, I always like to say, not everybody gets necessarily COVID, but everybody gets emotions. Mm -hmm. And nobody, no customer will feel well in an environment where the personnel does not feel well. Right. And, and so my, my idea and my, how can I say that, my, my proposal for that is I see a shift from CX, from customer experience to EX, 
which I would like to call the employee experience. That's right. Yeah. And I think yeah. this is a great, this is a great challenge nowadays uh, for all of the businesses, because we have uh, found out that we probably don't get the right people. And, and you know, as, at least in Germany, I think within the next 10 years, we have 8 million jobs where we don't have people. So it's a big issue. Yeah, it's, it's interesting when you start to talk about the idea of, because we're so focused on customer experience, the shifting to employee experience. There's... Uh, there's research and data that we've we've reviewed recently that talks about the not just the incremental increase in sales but the exponential increase in sales customer engagement long-term lifetime customer value expanding because of the relationship but, but i've always talked about this idea that it's not so much what you sell it's you know how you sell it or or the fact that the bo the bottom line is the stuff is supposed to do what the stuff is supposed to do it's supposed to get your clothes whiter it's supposed to make you know your car go or what whatever the product is but without the relationship then you don't really have a long-term value in in that customer engagement and that's that's uh, always been the underlying premise for me and i think probably back when we met i was talking a lot about empathy you know, the idea of empathic extension and what you do and how you read and understand that interaction is critical, right? Empathy is, again, such a beautiful word. Uh, sometimes I, I consider empathy, in, in my eyes, empathy is the backbone of humanity. Mm. You know, we are humans because of our capability to be empathic. Empathy mm -hmm. is not a luxury of nature. You know, we have even, you know, what, what, is, what is the reason behind empathy? One of the ideas I, I remember is we as human, uh, human beings, as homo sapiens, we have beautiful neurons in our brain, which are specially made for being empathic. And these mm -hmm. neurons are called mirror neurons. Mirror neurons are there for for us, uh, and and I think this is a this is a part of us, uh, or a specificness of Homo sapiens that makes us a social creatures. And when you talked about relation, it's all all about building a social connection. Uh, I have a course which I call the biology of loyalty, and people mm -hmm. often say, "What do you mean with that?" And I say. Are you aware about the fact that loyalty, everybody wants to have loyal employees, loyal customers, loyal relationship, loyal friends, etc. But loyalty is a result of biology. What, what I mean with that, one of the most important so-called evolutionary filters is the filter of belonging. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Humans need to belong in order to thrive in order to be safe, in order to, you know, have this idea of this, this goes back into our evolutionary history. You know, we were always, you know, in groups of people, 40, 60, 80, whatever, being a part of the group was something like a life insurance of today. Well, it was a very much like, I was just thinking that yeah. to be cast out <laughs> when, when you were, you know, in those years, um, you could have been, uh, become lunch very quickly, you know, yes. for saber tooth tiger, right? Yeah. So the social connection was critical. Yeah. And casting out today is, is the same phenomena, by the way, when we talk about bullying and mobbying, you mm -hmm. know, in, in the brain region, it activates a brain region, which is also activated by physical pain. Mm 
That yes. means, you know, being the cast out, you know, that means it, it hurts. But coming back to this idea of loyalty, one, one idea, and this is exactly what you said Rick, when you talked about the relation, I think it's all about connecting. And, and when you, when you can only convince when you are connected. And this is something we have forgotten, you know, especially in my days at, at Procter, I had all the arguments. We had five steps of persuasive selling. I know everything about the product. I could convince my customers. I thought so. Probably I was great in convincing, but not so great in connecting. And the rule I would like to, to uh, define today is we have to connect first in order to convince second. If you, if you do not have the connection, it's hard. And coming back to our idea of the people, you know, the people are not there to fill in the, the shelf. They are there to build a connection. Hi, David, how are you? Great to have you back. How are the sons? How is your wife? You know, try to build a connection. And, and, and once again, probably, and this is beautiful, when I think about what I learned from, from the neuroscientist, whenever you feel connected, as an employee, for instance, you know what happens without extra payment? Your body rewards you automatically with the release of a joy hormone, which is called serotonin. Whenever you have serotonin in your veins, you are connected. My family, my company, my business, and I stay there even when the times get tough. If I don't have the serotonin, if I don't have the connection, times get tough, I leave. Because why should I stay? It would be insane. Why should I, would, why should I stay? You know, and this is, this is really the, the beauty of, of loyalty and, and, and the beauty of the connection and the idea of humanity in, in a certain way. Well, so you bring up that, that so I'm waiting for you to say the word humanity because <laughs> I've been dying to get in here with, with your idea of the decade of humanity. Unpack what you think about the decade of humanity, what, what's happening, um, and, and some of your sort of principles about what that's about. In 2016, I, how can I say that? Uh, you know, probably, I don't know what, 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 what was going on. I had an inspiration, if I may say it so, because I, I talked to Achim, my partner in Noro Merchandising, and I said, Achim, a lot of people, even the discounters, uh, apply Noro Merchandising nowadays. Um, and, 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 and I think this is not, this is not my final calling, if I can say so. And uh, suddenly something popped into my mind and two ideas, you know, once again, the idea that business has always to do with people. And the second idea mm -hmm. this business has to do with the quality or the quality of business depends on the quality of relations. And I thought about what we, what we experienced in 2016. I said, Achim, what we experience nowadays, I would consider as a decade of quality because we had a really uplift in quality of retail environments. What I see in the mm. future is a decade of humanity. And the decade of humanity is my, has become my mission. And the mission uh, is, how can I say it, expressed in two crazy dreams. In the decade of humanity, the decade of humanity is a time where people do what they do with love 
and passion. Imagine when people would do what they do with love and passion. What, what a world, what a retail, what a business world, what a society. Imagine, and this is what I say from the standpoint of a father of four children, imagine mama and papa comes home filled with energy, filled with love and passion. What I learned is it would be good for their health. It would be good for their relationships. It would be good for their careers and it would be good for their children. So this is one part. A world where people love what they do. And when people, when often uh, people say, but Bert, this is not possible. This is stupid. Then I say, moment, give me one second to explain the idea of biology. Biology means the logic of life. When I talk to biologists, the real scientists, you know what they tell me? When I say, what is the logic of life? They say, the logic of life, Bert, at least when it comes to Homo sapiens, is uniqueness. Hmm. There is only one you. There is no better you than you. Eight billion unique gifts. Everybody is somebody. Everybody has something nobody else has. This is, this is my belief. And therefore, I think the idea is helping people finding out who they truly are in order to live accordingly. So this mm -hmm. is one part. And if I may add the second, the second dream, sure. the second vision, I dream about a world where companies are role models for the society. And these companies I would call the value-based business. So mm -hmm. it's about values, it's about culture, it's about role models, it's about, you know, uh, a better, how can I say that? Yeah, a, a better way, a better, a better world, not built on greed, built on something else, you know, this... Nowadays, when we talk with Chen said the, the, the triple P, it's not only profit, it's also people and planet. And if you find something for that, I think this is what I mean with decade of humanity. You know, it's interesting to me that because there's so many component pieces to that, which I, I wanted to try to connect into. I'm fully on board with the idea of empathy and connection as being key drivers to well not not just great, great brand relationships but relationships across the board um but one of the things we talked about in an earlier conversation was the idea that we also increasingly live in what i think is an increasingly disconnected society right um there's lots of research that suggests that for example a study done by sarah conrath um, years ago was across generational meta meta analysis of empathy and kids graduating from college and i think this was probably 2013 thereabouts so we're 10 years away from when the study was done but it suggested that kids graduating college today are let's say 40 percent less empathic than their predecessors and she doesn't draw a causal relationship but she draws correlational connections between the rise in technologies digital devices social media networks things like that that are increasingly disconnecting us and i think during the pandemic um, we could argue that we were both became increasingly disconnected and then maybe more connected because we had the technology, which was a lifeline, you know, back into society. 
But it seems to me there's a dichotomy here. Is there a challenge? And this is more a rhetorical question, I guess. The challenge of an increasingly maybe disconnected, disengaged, disenfranchised group of young consumers or younger you know, uh, members of, of the global society being unable to, to do the very thing that you're suggesting because they are being cultured and they're growing up in a world where that's the norm. The disconnection is the norm. Um, and do we, if we know anything about uh, neuroplasticity and, and the whole mirror neuron system, which I'm fully on board with, are we training our brains to be unable to actually be in empathic relationships because we don't practice it, right? If you, you know, um, if you don't use it, you lose it or, you know, neurons of fire together, wire together. And if you're not exercising those neural pathways that are um, being formed and reinforced during moments of social interactions, you're likely not building those neural pathways, as I understand the neuroscience. So do we have a disconnect here where we're saying, gosh, yes, it's, it's incredibly important, but at the same time, mm, we're, we're potentially having a whole generation of people who are unable to do that. Which goes back to question number one in the beginning as well. I know that I'm loading a lot in here, which is, um, those interactions that happen in stores, in places of brand engagements, if the people who are serving or working with associates may likely be less capable of doing it, let's just say, do we have an insurmountable challenge on our hands with the people who are in those relationships serving and those who are there engaging in the purchase or the service that they're that they're hoping to get in the store, um, equally unable to do it? What happens to the relationship then? Uh, absolute great observation and uh, another great question, if I uh, can say that. And, you know, it, it brings me back to this general idea when we talk about decade of humanity or humanity in general. Sometimes people say, oh, Bert, you do esoterical talks now. And I always have to say, yes, you know, I say, no, no, it's not only about, you know, it's not only about, you know, esoterics or romantic, I think what we just started in the conversation, I think what we need is a better understanding about human beings, how we mm. think, how we feel, and mainly why do we behave how we behave. And if you just, if I can come back to your idea of uh, this, this idea of disconnection as a new normal, I would agree on that. I, I had a, a, a podcast recently with somebody and a scientist talking about digital detox and the impact of the digital world, especially on our younger generations. You know, in Germany, we have 16%, which is one out of six people who are really sick. Sick, that means they need therapy because they are so mm -hmm. addicted to social media or to their digital devices. And, and it's, it's, it's really an issue, and I would call it it's probably not a problem, but a big challenge. Mm -hmm. I have a simple observation, and this is what I share with my students. I, I always like to say, you know, there is a chance to survive without digital devices. They will not believe that. But I say on, on, the, on the standpoint of, of neuroscience and evolutionary biology, there is a chance to survive without that. And they say, no way. And I, but I, but I can really, uh, how can I say that? I can with, say with absolutely, uh, with absolutely conviction that you can survive without digital media, but you will not survive without emotions. You will not survive without empathy. 
And one more aspect pops into my mind. You know, what, what, what is the challenge in my eyes? And therefore, I am very privileged to, to teach in different universities and business schools in Germany and abroad. And what I observed is we learn everything about anything, but we do not learn anything about ourselves. And this is where humanity comes into place. Humanity means not only understanding people, but understanding yourself. Who is the man or who is the woman in the mirror? What is my uniqueness? You know, what is, uh, uh, where, where can I find my, my, my purpose, my calling? And, and this is, I think, the challenge for education. This is the challenge for the society. And, and, you know, we educate our people like we did it, our, our students, uh, in the way we did it since 200 years. You know, in a certain way to function, to, to, to do something in a, in a specific way. But this is, you know, this is stupid. This is, I would say, this is uh, yeah. not longer uh, relevant because, you know, when, when there is a machine which can do things better, why should I compete with a machine? Let's focus back on the humanities. And, and like I said, and I think it, it all starts with a man and with, with a woman in the mirror. And what I want to do with my work, especially with Gen Z, I want to remind people who they are. You know, uh, there is this beautiful uh, proverb from, from uh, Charles Bukowski. I, I love it. And he said, can you remember who you were before society told you who you are? And, and this is all about try to find out who you are, find your uniqueness and then live accordingly, unlock what is really inside. If this is true, that there is no second you, it makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? It comes back to the, or it comes back or, or it brings up the idea um, that we've talked about before, this idea of self-leadership or good leadership starts with self-leadership, right? But that also assumes that there is a, a sense of curiosity about understanding why um, and, and asking the question and digging below the surface of my emotional reactions to certain things to look at the, the motivating factors behind why I do, why I think, why I behave, you know, in some way. So um, tell me about your, your thinking on the idea of, of self-leadership. That would be um, something worthwhile digging into here. The leadership is one of my uh, favorite, how can I say it, issues, topics, because I tried to lead as a manager in the corporate world. I tried to lead as an entrepreneur with my 30 plus people. And I think I, I fail a lot. Nobody explained to me how, to, how can I become a good leader. And sometimes I compare it with being a, a good parent, a good father. I didn't get a manual for that as well. So, you know, I was always wondering, uh, how, 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 how can I do that? And after 30 years of trial and error, I have a simple observation. And the observation is, I think leadership, and this is what you just said, is always, always, always self-leadership. The suffering in business is not because of the business, it's because of the leaders, right? People choose companies and leave their bosses. And this is not because their bosses are all stupid or mean or whatever. 
I think we did not learn, for instance, the impact of emotions, the impact of, of my own perception. How, why do I perceive the world as I perceive it? What is the influence of biochemicals and neurotransmitters, etc., etc.? So, uh, as you know, I, I, I uh, brought all my thoughts in, in a little book, which I call Lead, Speak, Inspire. And I think the self-leadership is key. And my proposal for the business world is only if you can prove that you can lead yourself, you should be allowed to lead others. You know the craziness in Germany? We have to, to, we have to pay 2,000 plus euros to get a driver license, you know, to lead a car in a certain way. But everybody can lead somebody else without understanding how, how powerful, for instance, the impact of your emotions are. Uh, the idea that emotions are contagious has cost me a lot of money. You know, I wasn't aware about that fact in the days when I had this beautiful agency in this beautiful, you know, flat, in this beautiful, uh, how can I say, the loft office. You know what happened in those days from time to time? I didn't get hugs from my wife. I had a difficult call with my tax lawyer. My biggest client said, no, we don't want to continue the cooperation with you. So I was a little bit tensed. <laughs> and I went into my office and a couple of weeks later, my, my staff uh, told me, Pert, from time to time, you were not in such a good mood. And I said, what? That's impossible. You know, I was stupid. I wasn't aware about the fact that my negativity was very, very, how can I say that, not only contagious, but, you know, what, what happens when, when the boss is in a bad mood? Nobody will raise his hand and say, hey, Bert, I have a great idea. Hey, let's do this and let's do that. Everybody hides him or herself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it costs me a lot of money. And nowadays, I always like to suggest to managers and leaders, if you are in a bad mood, that's okay, because that makes you human. But think about it, whether you will really or whether you are willing to destroy the value of your own company with, you know, spreading this energy. Get, take responsibility for your emotional state. Be aware about your emotional state. Make a good decision, ideally to change a negative state. And then, you know, don't show up with the negativity into your team. Play golf or do something else. This is the value. And, and now we're going to go back to something you said <laughs> earlier on, which I love. And I've been a fasc fascinated with the whole idea of mirror neurons and the early work of uh, Giacomo Rizzolatti and, and University of Parma and, and the whole discovery of the mirror neuron system. And um, Ramachandran, uh, you know, talking about it as actually the basis of empathy and understanding, right? So that we, we have this innate ability built into us collectively. Uh, to be able to see and read and, and feel the emotions of someone, others from body language, physical expressions, physical expressions, uh, the looks on people's faces, those kinds of things. And we're very, very good because we're tuned into that. Um, and so with, with the, with the only, with the differing qualification between rhesus monkeys on which the tests were done and humans is that uh, monkey see monkey do, but humans see and humans feel 
which is different, and that we are able to not only understand what the person is doing or what the person might do next, but also infer intent so that we are we, we begin to understand the meaning behind that expression. And I've, I've always been curious about this idea because I, gosh, there's so much in here. I can't see all of my emails floating around in the air right now in my office, but I, I'm telling you they're there. And so is everybody else's emails, by the way. But I, so I, I, I believe that they're there in the same way that I cannot see the energy transfer from me to you or you to me in the air. But I know I feel it when the boss, when, like you say, you come out of your, your office, people can sense that, right? You know, people can sense the, the that energy that is there and, and they then react what they believe accordingly. If, if they feel if it's a, a, a fight, flight, freeze, um, scenario where I should be afraid. And so I can't see it between us, but I, I have got to believe that it's there because I know what it's like to be in an office or in a board meeting when the boss walks in and you can just tell he's had a bad day. So I always say to people, you know, when you say to people, oh, he's bad energy, man, you know, oh, that guy's bad energy. Like it is a little real thing that, you know, the energy transfer and I can't avoid it, which means that if I'm around someone who's exuding that kind of energy, um, my neural system is set up to be able to see it, to, to recognize it and to feel it in my own body. So I feel that sense of anxiety or that anger. And we get to a really interesting idea here, which is going back to Gen Z talking about internet and social media that, um, I also know that if I watch a movie, if I listen to a story, uh, my brain reacts in as if experiences, as if I am experiencing. I can see in my mind's eye the relationship between the characters, the visuals that are being painted in my in my my mind's eye about the surroundings, um, and I can feel those things. And so I cry at movies, or I even cry at reading a text because I have that ability. We all share. And so I think the interesting challenge that we get is if I can see it and feel it, if I can hear it and feel it, um, if I can directly interact and feel it, if I watch it on the internet and I'm able to share those stories outwardly, um, then I have to also understand that in the sharing of that content across the platform of the internet with what I call the denizens of the digisphere, that my emotional content that gets projected outwards doesn't just reach the person I'm talking to in person, you know, in one-to-one, but has the capability of creating this emotional contagion um, uh, domino effect where I'm now affecting hundreds, maybe thousands, maybe millions of people who all begin to feel the same thing because we simply can't avoid but to feel those things because we don't have yet the evolutionary biology or the neurosystems to necessarily turn off that mechanism in our head where we, you know, can stop feeling. Um, and I think that is both hugely, it's a great tool, but it's also a potential real danger in how these propagations of those feelings can now manifest across a much broader network, not just your immediate family and your, and your village, but countries or, you know, um, or the planet. No, and, but yeah, you, you just said it's so beautifully and this is what i meant with contagiousness you know not necessarily you get a coronavirus but this emotional thing is really there i have uh, i have uh, probably some 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 ideas uh, 
No way. Uh, I knew you would. Just, That's just, right. yeah, <laughs> so, no, just a, a few, how can I say that, uh, thoughts about that. First of all, you know, I think what we need is awareness. Mm. We cannot change what we are not aware about. So my, my, my simple idea is, I, I, you know, and this is the beauty of the system. I, I sometimes call it the system Homo sapiens. The beauty of the system Homo sapiens, in principle, it is quite easy to understand. I didn't want to say simple. Easy to understand. First, we have to understand that we are not thinkers. We are feelers. So the, the emotions are always there. We are emoting all the time. Emotions means, and this is a beautiful expression, emotion means energy in motion. Mm -hmm. You know, the energy which moves us. It's really physical. We can, we can perceive it. We can feel it, what you said. And in a simple way, I, I know I simplify a little bit, you are either in a negative emotional state or you are in a positive emotional state. When I come back to this idea of awareness, just be aware where you are at any given moment. Because I think when you are aware, you can respond or you can react accordingly or with uh, smart in a, in a certain way. So for instance, if the boss comes with a lot of negativity, I always like to say it is like a tsunami, you know, there is a tsunami coming and there are two strategies. Number one, show some kind of resistance. And this is when the tsunami clashes, crashes on a rock. The tsunami gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. But if you do not give the tsunami any kind of resistance, like a flat beach in a certain way, the only thing it can do, you know, the wave goes and rolls in a certain way out. Mm -hmm. So, no, you know, when you, no resistance, because uh, as an idea, what, what, what do I have to do with, with his bad emotions? This is, I know, difficult sometimes in a board meeting. Sure. But coming back to the awareness, I want to paint another picture. You know, think about this idea of awareness and ask yourself, are you on this downward spiral or somewhere else? And I have this because I love music and I love this rock and roll. And I one song popped into my mind from ACDC. What was it again? The Highway to Hell. <laughs> there is either a highway to hell. I, I like it. Which is a highway fast. And, you know, without a big effort. You go downwards, goes very, very fast. What I always like to tell people, you know, I can tell you something. Relax, chill. You know, the highway is always there and I can guarantee you these downward energies are as real as gravity. Always there. Always delivered for free. Beautiful, isn't it? On the other side, the positive emotions I like to call with this other beautiful song. What was it again? The stairway to heaven. There is a highway to hell and there is a stairway to heaven. And you see, I love the idea of, be, uh, there is a big difference between a highway and a stairway, obviously. A stairway is a stairway. It needs a little bit of effort. One step at a time. Mm -hmm. One step at a time. And the only thing I would like to suggest, 
in any given moment, ask yourself, am I on the highway or on the stairway? When you find out that you are on the highway, you can make now, second step after being aware, make a decision. And the third step, the most important, do something, take action, start breathing again. You know, when you, we know that our body has an impact on our emotional state because emotions are generated if or experienced or made in our body. So this is what I always like to say. Once we are aware about our emotions, we can take emotional responsibility and we can respond. We can react. We can do, them, do something. So in, in, in an in a, in a easy, in easy way, I, I would call it a three-step, how can I say, negotiation, awareness, decision, action. And the, and the image should, should keep into the, the, this, this idea, the picture, uh, which we want to implement into the uh, minds of our audience is the highway to hell or the stairway to heaven. It's always your choice. Mm. It's always your choice. Because we as human beings, we have something nobody, no, no other creature has. Obviously, it's the freedom of choice. <laughs> brings us to this interesting, and I'll, and I'll use the previous proverb that you mentioned to go to this question, which is um, know who you were before society told you who you were, if I paraphrase the proverb mm -hmm. correctly, which I think comes to the idea of trusting our intuition. How do we trust that we intuitively know when we might have been spending a lot of years negating the intuition, saying, no, no, that I can't trust my real feelings on that because I've been so focused on on behaving, thinking, you know, uh, falling in line with this this other sort of construct that that suggests I should be thinking and and behaving in another way. Um, that's really tough. I mean, I can personally, I can say there was a long, long time where I didn't trust that what I was really feeling was real. And, and I would second guess myself. I would always be doubting. Um, now I'm happy to say that I don't do that quite as much anymore. Um, but I'm really curious about how you, what, what your thoughts are on, on how you begin to trust that intuitive sense, you know, the feeling and, and rely on, on that inner voice to make decisions, uh, in, in a, in a way that's, um, either appropriate for the situation or for you personally or emotionally. Yeah. I think where we are nowadays in business and in society and in every, in every aspect of life is we are where we are because we behaved how we behaved. You know, we try to explain the world uh, based on, on insights, on uh, I, I think we overestimated our cognition and we underestimated our our intuition, which intuition is a soft factor. Again, this is esoterical bullshit. Prove it to me. You know, we grew up in an evidence-based world, don't we? You know, and this is this is something which is. I think there are a lot of reasons why why we why we we behaved or why we have skepticism with this intuition. I would like to start again with this idea of the decade of humanity. The decade of humanity means we have to have a better understanding about humans and about ourselves. And what it needs, it needs a great relationship 
And when we talk about relationships, I always like to ask people, who is the most important human being in your life you relate to? And they say, my father, my mother, my spouse, my husband, my children. And this is beautiful, but this is not what <laughs> this is not what I want to hear. This is not what what I mean. I think the most important relationship we have is the relationship with the one we see in the mirror. Mm. And when you do not have a relationship with the, with with the one you see in the mirror, how can you trust the one you you see in the mirror? So once again, I think what I what I like to share here is. This new idea of being human means we have to understand who we are. Who am I? And, 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 and what is my purpose? And, and, and how does reality come into my own mind? And what we learn from neuroscientists, you know, the brain is, is just an organ which has a long story. It's not an invention of the last 200 years, you know. It's the latest update. <laughs> Once somebody told me, you know, the latest update was 200,000 years ago. So a very, very old device. And, you know, our brain has a lot of malfunctions. We have a lot of biases. We have, we tend to see the things a little bit more negative than they are. Mm. And also I am rather optimistic. I am filled. I am filled with doubts and self-doubts and negative thoughts, and I always ask myself, where do they come from? Now I know it, they come from my evolutionary hangover. And in, in times when you have, how can I say that, uh, negative thoughts, uh, my, my first proposal is, uh, do not believe everything you think. Do not believe everything you think, because your brain just wants to find a solution based on its DNA based on its experiences, based on its memories. Stay away from threat. Stay away from negativity. Try to endorse something else. You know, and this is when I when I say the the mind. Also, it's beautiful. The mind is a beautiful. <laughs> I would say the mind is a beautiful servant, but a dangerous master. The mind will not. The mind is not a. It's not the right, how can I say that, tool or the right resource to manage the challenges of life. And now you could say, what else, Bert? And I would like to shift the focus from the mind to the heart. And I love this topic of heart leadership. When you want to find out who you are, you have to reconnect with your heart. And the heart, by the way, is not only a bump, uh, something which has a certain physical, uh, how can I say, the responsibility. No, there is a brain in the heart. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we talk about this, this gut feeling and, and you... Heartfelt you know, emotion. And the, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, the heart is the institution. And in, in my work, I always like to say this is this kind of inner voice. Your intuition is this soft inner voice, but we have to be aware that we have normally two inner voices. The loud one, I call it the judger. You know, whenever there is a judgment, this is not your intuition. Your intuition will never judge. Your intuition is this soft voice whispering in moments when you are in, nowadays we would call it when you are in the flow, 
Some people hear it underneath the shower. Some people hear it when they are in nature. Some people hear it when they are, I don't know, meditating, whatever they do. And, and there is something. And, you know, <laughs> I don't want to go too deep. Um, oh, but you, we... you can go deep. It's okay. <laughs> no, but I just want to say, if somebody asks me, Barrett, how can I find that? Uh, and, and, and in this moment, I, I'd like to talk a little bit about a navigation system which is delivered at birth for free. You know what? Uh, funny enough, we rely on our GPS in the cars or on our mobile, but we have something similar delivered at birth for free, which I'd like to call the EPS, the Emotional Positioning System. Mm-hmm. And the emotional positioning system is not work, does not work based on ge- geographics. It works based on a quality which is called joy. Where the joy is, there is the truth. Where the truth is, there is the success. So follow your joy. This is all you have to do. And this is easier said than done. I, I'm totally aware of it. I was going to say, I mean, in <laughs> principle, I agree. And... I know some people would say, well, yes, that's very easy to say when you're not living in Syria and, you know, years ago and your your city's being bombed or you're not uh, in living in a food desert um, where you don't have good food or, you know, you're, you're continually being racially profiled because you happen to be dark-skinned versus white. I think there's lots of challenges. In principle, I love the idea and I equally see... And this is where I think maybe, I don't know, I've come to see the dichotomy in our in our lives between these capabilities and these virtues uh, that humans are so capable of. And on the other side, we're also capable of the destruction of uh, life and planet. Um, and, and we seem to live with sometimes feet in both of these worlds, you know? Um, and so how, how do you address those issues in in the and make them align with the the previous thinking it's a it is a challenge right yeah absolutely you caught me on my left leg so to say and my this left is exactly leg. what a lot of, <laughs> what a lot of people telling me yeah. is that bad but this is much too positive and not everybody lives in this privileged environment right. and then this is you this is easy talk this is not what i mean you know when we have difficulties to feed us ourselves the families when we when we are you know i don't want to talk about the maslow's pyramid of needs uh and i don't i i I don't want to how can i say that i don't want to tell bullshit if i may say that but the principal idea the principal idea is coming back to humanity the principal idea is that everybody is somebody everybody is unique and, the, the, and this is a gift, and this is a gift. Your uniqueness is a gift, but I also believe it's a kind of a duty. You have to show up. You have to bring your gift into the world to make the world a better world. We need everybody of these 8 billion people. And if I may say that probably we would have less violence, less wars, less uh, uh, anxieties, less if we would have a better understanding about ourselves Mm -hmm. how does reality come into our mind why are we so 
attached or why 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 is the suffering what is what is it all about when we talk about the suffering where does it come from it comes from a misunderstanding in my eyes of us as human beings we tell people something we, we are manipulated we are influenced you know we just talked about this idea of the digital you know fake news are better than or or bad news are better than good news and 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 we all, we have to understand and i think one word which i'd like to to bring to the table one word which is one of my most favorite is the word responsibility being able to respond to circumstances mm -hmm. because circumstances are as they are and this is this is not uh please don't get me wrong on that but what i want to say you know we do not so much, and, and we do depend on circumstances, that's clear, but I think there is two different ways of approaching my life. The one is, and I know a lot of people, they say, you know, like Bert, you know, the one you, you are talking to, I, I, I always like to say, you know, I could have become, I could have become a good man. But David, the circumstances, phew, the girls, the teachers, the parents, the society, our chancellor, you know, the, the, the migrants, whatever you call it, the circumstances. And now I am who I am. This is, a, a, this is a, 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 how can I say that? If somebody sees the world like that, it, it's a very limited way of seeing the world. And you are always in a certain way a victim. My proposal, which I learned from good old Stephen Covey is, he said, we do not, we are not a result of our circumstances. We are much more the result of the decisions we make. And, and do I have answers? You know, in the word responsibility is this wonderful word response. Do I have a response? And there is this big difference between being reactive or being responsive. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I like this semantics, you know, and, and I think when we add the little word self, if people would start to take self-responsibility, I would think it would make a huge change. Because when I know what I'm doing, and you, you mentioned why, why I'm doing what I'm doing. And what I said before, do not believe everything you think, because... Your brain will tell you a lot of stories. This is not possible. You need the money. You have to feed. You know, all these excuses. All these excuses. What we learn today is there is only one consistency in business and in society. And this is change and it's faster and faster and accelerating. And change is what the evolutionary biologists call the price for survival. Mm -hmm. So if we want to survive, we have to change, but change is difficult. And, and it starts once again with a woman or with a man in the mirror. Take responsibility for this individual. Think about what is your vision of a better world? What is your vision of a better society? Where is your gift? Mm -hmm. And what could you contribute in a certain way? In a previous podcast, I was talking to a uh... A friend, Christian Davies, who's a design lead at an architecture firm called Bergmeier, and, and we were talking about the whole idea of change, which I've been fascinated with over the past few years, specifically because I was forced into 
um, monumental change uh, as a result of COVID and, and it giving me a moment for pause, but also to evaluate change. And, and he said, you know, the thing about change is that um, some people don't like change, but the thing is change doesn't much care. And then I, then I always, I, I remember pulling this other proverb and I wish I knew where it came from and I don't, which is that um, uh, change is, is an eventuality, you know, um, but transformation isn't. And you cannot transform by an act of will. Um, you can only transform by an act of love. And, and I love that idea because you're right. Change is an inevitability. It's going to happen. And I do agree. It'll happen faster and faster and faster in the moments of significant change in our lives, driven by, let's say, digital, the digital world and digital transformation and technologies, the deltas between significant changes because change is nonlinear, it's exponential. We're now on the upswing of the exponential curve that those significant moments between change will become smaller and smaller so that I have a sense that we will eventually be living in, in the continual state of in-betweenness in the in between this change and that change and our ability to adapt in that fluid manner between these monumental changes of our life will be our ability to survive it in the long range and that that, that fluidity of experience is going to be just an everyday thing it used to be that significant changes happened um in hundreds or thousands of years and now they become smaller and smaller and smaller and so uh, i love the idea of trying to understand change and not being fearful of change um although change and novelty are things that equally drive us at a brain level learning is found in those moments of novelty because it's tied to dopamine because it's tied to the dopaminergic system and uh, picking up anomalies in our environments uh, but I find the whole idea of change and transformation um, and that they're not the same thing, um, but one might likely force the other, but only if you have a willingness and a curiosity and a love for it, will you actually move to that next sort of larger sort of transformational change. And when you talk about transformation, I think this is all about when we started our conversation about the relation of uh, space or a retail environment, mm -hmm. you know, the transformation is this different perspective on a subject, for instance, shift the perspective from the space a little bit more to the people within the space, mm -hmm. because they create this emotional resonance. And, and what I say when I think about change, you know, I was also confronted with with COVID, you know, as somebody working with people and suddenly everything, you know, was stopped, you know, no more conference, no more speaking, no more workshops, nothing. I see change a little bit also from the perspective as an invitation. You know, people, and this is a little bit probably our human uh, side of us that, you know, we have a certain how can I say that resistance against the change because our evolutionary filter tells us, oh, it can get worse. You know, up to 70% of the unconscious thoughts are negative. And this is what science calls negativity bias. Change, I connect change with, you know, what comes first, normally something like a crisis. And COVID was a crisis. Mm -hmm. And a lot of, normally the crisis is the motor for change. And I said, imagine 
a crisis would be a friend in disguise knocking on your door telling you David David open the door no I have a better plan probably a crisis is an invitation to find a better plan because when we take our look backwards it is exactly what what we can uh, what we can uh, how can I say that experience because of a crisis we made a change and suddenly we said because of the change we went one step further on the stairway to heaven mm -hmm. and and you know I have this beautiful proverb and I have to share that with you because you know sometimes I'm so scared sometimes I'm so scared and then this proverb pops into my mind it's uh, it goes like 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 the following what the caterpillar sees as the end of the world the master calls a butterfly you know the caterpillar thinks this is the end but it's the transformation the metamorphosis into a butterfly mm -hmm. and by the way the dna of a caterpillar is 100% the DNA of a butterfly. You see my point? I think this is sometimes I feel so comfortable being a caterpillar, but this is not what I'm meant to be. And sometimes I think these kind of proverbs can help people mm -hmm. to overcome their fear. Fear is normal, fear is always there. And we need something which is powerful enough to overcome fear. In the business world and in the private world, I would like to suggest there is something which can be stronger than fear. And this is what I would call a vision, an image, an idea, you know, and, and, and this is, you know, a vision built and based on, on, on love and caring and, and the idea of uh, how do I want to be remembered? How can I... You know, what, what, what do I want to hear at my 80th birthday? <laughs> we can define that today. And in any given moment, we can make a decision for ourselves. And transformation, coming back to this beautiful world, I think this is what we have to do. Change the mind of people. Or I always like to say I would like to invite people to change their perspectives because there is another one. My favorite one. You know, when we change the way we look at things, things change. And this is the beauty, isn't it? Thank you, Max Planck. Thank you, Max. Thank you, quantum physicists. This is not, uh, this is not esoterical talk of Bert. This is physics. And this is beautiful. So this is what we need when we talk about transformation. Change the way we see the world and once again start with a man or with a woman in the mirror try to build a great relationship fall in love with the one you see in the mirror this is all it needs i promise i could end right there <laughs> but i'm not going to <laughs> because there's there's a few other things I want to um, get to 
um, you know, this funny thing about change is I once read people don't actually mind change so much. What they mind is being changed. Um, and, and because we're so connected to rigidly connected to our mindset, uh, which is, which is a death knell for innovation and creativity, you know, when we uh, are, are not willing to have that growth mindset, you know, the Carol Dweck uh, growth versus fixed mindset mentality, which I fully believe to be true. And and that brings me to um, another discussion that we had talking about this idea of uh, ROI, you know, how we qualify the value that we bring to the design of things or places or our clients or customers or whatever. And um, a story that I often have told about developing something which we thought was quite unique and then presenting it to a client and then them saying, yeah, but is that thing you're going to do going to give me, you know, a $2 lift in, in my sales? And I said, I, my response was, well, you know, gosh, I, I think if you go at the traditional way of thinking about this, um, and you think about ROI, your ROI spreadsheet probably doesn't have the same factors that mine has on it because mine includes return on innovation, return on empathy, return on emotion, return on experience, return on all these other things, which are generally hard to quantify, but in an experience-based economy, key drivers to whether or not the return is going to give you the lift that you want. And you added one more into my list of return ons to return on kindness are okay. But that and it doesn't seem to be so far away from everything you're saying. The focus back on humanity, the focus back on on, you know, being kind, following the golden rule, you know, doing those kinds of things. Tell me more about your idea on return on kindness. You know, the most important KPI within the decade of humanity, and I nearly have forgotten to mention, is indeed the return on kindness, and it equals approximately 20%. 20 to 0% more sales without investment. And people often say, no, this is not possible, Bert. When we have a one-to-one uh, -one conversation, they say, I have to admit it's probably even more. You know, kindness is the real currency when we talk about humanity. Because, you know, a kind uh, interaction is something I will remember. Because we will always only remember how you make me feel. And this is what I say in, when we're going back in a basic point of sale retail experience. The question is, how? what do people remember when they leave the store? Mm -hmm. How they were treated? And you know, and I, I can guarantee when they have a nice memory, they, they will first of all, probably, the probability to come back is reasonably high. The probability that they will speak about others sure. or with others about their experience are also probably high because we are not so, I think, you know, at least I can only speak for German, European, you know, the expectations are quite low. Expectations are quite low. So this is a real, real great opportunity. But, and this is, uh, we have to be very cautious on that. Kindness, once again, and please, I, I hope uh, I don't speak too much about the one in the mirror. Kindness starts again with the one in the mirror. Saying that, I mean, you cannot be kind to somebody unless you are kind to yourself. Mm -hmm. 
because you can only give away what you have. Being kind to others and not being kind to yourself would definitely lead to a burnout. So, and once again, you see my point that it makes a lot of sense to take care for yourself because you are the one, you know, you are, you know, and, and this idea of being kind starts again, be kind to yourself. Listen to your heart. Say thank you and please to yourself because there is the, the, the how can I say the, the, the most, the prettiest, the most beautiful expression of love when it comes to self-love but also to relationships, to love of life is the idea of gratitude. Mm -hmm. Being, you know, kindness and grateful. I would like to, to play a little bit with these two words because I know that you can't be grateful and miserable at the same time. Not possible. Not possible. Isn't it beautiful? So whenever you are miserable, try to refocus. And this is once again transformation. And the kindness, and I think kindness is... By the way, I have to mention, I, I, I have stolen this idea from Hamdi Ulukaya, the founder and CEO of Kobani, your dairy company, mm -hmm. a very successful dairy company. And he's, he considers himself as the anti-CEO. Probably one day you should have him in your podcast, Hamdi Ulukaya. He's my absolute role model for the decade of humanity, and he brought this up. He said, you know, it's not more about the ROI, and this ROI is from 90s. ROI is the future, and the future starts now. The ROK is a, a great add to the, um, the return on kindness. I love that as an ad. I'll have to put that into my slide now. I'll steal that from you if that's okay. Absolutely. <laughs> of course, I'll, cr I'll credit you. I'll, I'll put, you know, Bert on the mirror. And I credit, yeah. I credit Hamdi. No, it's the... The, the beauty of conversations like we have it, the beauty of, 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 of everything we know, I think this is, this is what I always like to say, knowledge is the only resource which, gets, which becomes more while using it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's sharing. It's the idea of living is giving. It's not about, you know, me, me, me. No, it's about we, we, we. Right. We need everybody. It's interesting on the gratitude, you know, now that we're using quotes from people, um, didn't Cicero say something like gratitude is the mother of all virtues? Absolutely. You know, the interesting thing about understanding the brain, and I think both of us come at it from being non-neuroscientists formally, but neuroscience advocates and students of neuroscience and the, the neuroscience of behavior and engagement and, and all these things. Which is what I what I've always said since learning or really digging into the neuroscience world was if you only knew a little bit about how your brain works, you might not make some of the decisions you make thinking it matters to your customers, to yourself, to the people around you when it's completely off of the awareness radar. But there are so many simple things that are at a very baseline. And I don't 
professed to be a neuroscientist, although I've had the very good fortune to interview a lot of them on my podcast, and I, I find neuroscience research fascinating. But that's really the driver. I think it goes back to that idea of the curiosity quotient here in, in the discussion about wanting to know a little bit about how your brain works. And when you do, there's a whole world that opens up in terms of your appreciation for and um, uh, ability to do what you said, which I, which I love the sort of pulling apart responsibility into those two things, response ability. Your ability to respond appropriately in the moment has a lot to do with how you process the information, sure, um, but also how you, uh, how you reframe those circumstances to see it from something that's not going to trigger you, but see it in a, from a different point of view, which often has to do with <laughs> all these themes tied together with empathy, removing yourself from the situation, looking at it from a third person point of view or the other person's point of view. And all of these things, I love this a sort of um, uh, celestial sort of, you know, connection between all these points um, in the conversation that they're all interrelated. Um, not not one that exists on its own as the key driving factor, but the interrelationship in many ways to use the the metaphor like the brain um, and it's it's 10 billion neurons or 86 billion neurons with tens of thousands of connections. It's the interrelationship between all these things functioning all at the same time, which are it's it's a miracle, frankly, that we can do anything <laughs> in this world. And when you begin to really understand how the brain functions, Again, for me, from from a layman's, you know, pedestrian point of view, you should stand back and just be awestruck by the by what we can do. Even what I'm doing right now, formulating coherent language, although sometimes coherent, mostly incoherent, I think sometimes too. But even the simple things like that, you know, and and hearing you say something and drawing connections from some unrelated but somehow connected uh, piece that sort of adds insight into that moment, I just find it a fascination. Like I'm continually uh, amazed at, at what we can do as humans. Um, it's it's just extraordinary. I know that sounds kind of strange, but I'm never not amazed, to be honest. I I, I couldn't agree more. Once again, you know, this is the beauty. Once you started. Uh, questioning what is it all about and what is my purpose in life in business in a career you know this is we all have our own stories mm. and you every every human being has to master his or her life and sooner or later the question will pop up in your mind and this is what I, my, one of my recommendations I give to my students. I always like to tell them, do not exchange your life for money. Do not exchange it for money. Exchange it for something else. Because money equals often success, right? And success on the other side is always a result, a consequence of something else. And in my own life, it was the same, you know, probably the fir first four decades, I sacrificed my, my life for being successful because, you know, this is what society told me, be successful and then you can be happy. But this is simply a myth. It is not true. It's a lie. It's the other way around. You have to be in a, in a, in a how can I say it, a joyful emotional state in order to become mm. 
successful. <laughs> and this is, you know, this is the other way around. And one of the recipes, and I only can underline that, one of the recipes is curiosity. You know, another idea I, I say, uh, especially to the female students, I say, you know what? I have a little secret for eternal beauty without Botox. <laughs> and they say, what? This is not possible. What is it? Can I have it? I said, yes. It's called curiosity. Mm. Curiosity. The sparkle in the eyes. And you know, as long as we are curious, we are alive, I, I'd like to say. You know, I love the idea of curiosity. And, and I, I think that curiosity, you know, unlocks the world of possibility. Um, and um, when you're curious to dig in um, and you want to know how or what or why uh, things work, um, I think of even just recently, you know, I'm forever watching things on Netflix now about the origins of the universe, you know, and, and um, I always come up against the question, well, yes, but what's at the edge of the universe, you know, and, and I'm, those, those are problems that are way beyond, beyond my understanding of the, the natural world and physics and all those other things. But um, that curiosity is a key driver to at least of the four um, key principles to what I think are good leadership. And I'd love you to weigh in on this. Uh, we've talked about this before. I, I think curiosity is key, but I think first credibility. Have you done it? Um, have you had some experience? Do you have a history? You know, have you done your 10,000 hours? It doesn't have to be in exactly that thing, but maybe in a side, uh, a parallel path that somehow is transferable in terms of skill sets and awareness. Um, do you have uh, communication? And, and what do you value in communication? Authenticity, transparency, frequency, um, openness. What is it about communication? Um, curiosity, vote most definitely in there. If you don't have curious, you won't ever want to really solve the problem. You know, what is driving whatever the challenge is? And then um, connection. Um, are, you, are you fostering these deep, empathic, emotional connections that are the root, I think, of relationship, um, which ultimately is, is one of the, the reasons that we are in leadership roles, is that we're trying to foster those, those relationships. And I've often said, you know, I love projects. I love working on projects, but I'm ultimately way more interested in the relationship than I am the project. I hate losing the relationship over losing the project. The projects will come and go, but the relationships may last a lifetime, you know, and I'm actually having meetings this week with people who I haven't spoken to in 15 years, you know, or, or longer. Um, and still we can connect back because those relationships were, were really what was driving our, our connections um, way back when, when we were actually working together, what are, do you have key sort of, you know, Bert's principles on what, what are the foundational principles for great leadership or Bert's, you know, three big topics of interest, you know, what, what is it that drives, you know, your work? I love the four C's you just mentioned, you know, I have these uh, three words, which I expressed in my, in my books, uh, lead, speak, inspire. We talked about leadership as self-leadership. Mm -hmm. I studied communication. If it is a science, I'm not quite sure, I would call it the science of misunderstanding. Mm -hmm. Most problems or challenges are miscommunication. And a lot of things are just simply, and the question here comes again, how can I, how can I measure the quality of my own communication? I have an idea. I always like to say, 
you can measure the quality of your communication on the reaction you get. If you don't like the reaction, you can blame the audience, you can blame the, the, the receiver, they are stupid and ignorant, or you can try to become better. Who has the, who has the responsibility for a successful communication? You know a lot of words, and once again, I'm into semantics. Uh, I have these uh, Latin or Greek roots, and when I think about communication, it comes from the word communio, and communio means connecting. Here we have the other C. It's connecting, building a connection. You do, do a communio. You know, the communion in the church is nothing else. And for me, this is the image of building a bridge. Mm. Are you a good bridge builder between people? Or are you good in destroying bridges? Or are there any at all? You know, this is communication. And the third word is inspiration, my most favorite one. Uh, once again, you know, I, I always try to motivate people. And nowadays I'd like to say, uh, you can't motivate somebody. Motivation always happens from within. And this is again connected to transformation if I really want it. And the biggest form of motivation is when you are in love. Hmm. You know, I call it the, I call it, uh, the, the love advantage, you know, and imagine... The moment when you are really in love, the, 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 the colors, the energy, there are no obstacles. Everything is possible. We will make it to meet each other. And you know what I, I like to say, again, coming back to Decade of Humanity, imagine we would fall in love with what we do. Can't wait, jumping out of the bed. And, you know, do something. And this is, uh, once again, the curiosity and the beauty and, 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 and inspiration is, you know, this, once again, inspiration, inspire, being in spirit and inspirare, inspiratio, is this idea of breathing and, uh, you know, try to create a resonance. And I think this is what we have to do. We have to inspire people to, and help them to find out what is the real motivator for somebody. And this is, this is when somebody tells me, I want that. You know, a lot of people say, I can't do that. But what they mean is, I don't want to. If you really want something like being in love, you can do it. Nobody can stop you except your own doubts, but nothing else. This is my total belief. And, and uh, you know, when, I, when you talked about digging and you asked me what, what is my probably a, a little idea, I, I would be super, super, super excited and happy if we would be able to plant a little seed, only a little seed, into the mind and into the hearts of our audience. Because one, once there is a little seed, it will grow. And life will never be the same. Because, you know, one, it, it grows and the questions will come, oh, what's about kindness? Oh, what is my own connection with myself? Oh, where is my curiosity? Oh, where is my responsibility? Oh, etc., etc. You know, it's, it's, it, needs, it needs only this initial spark. This little seed, and then uh, I think we can probably bring one or two 
uh, on a new track. Bert Müller, thank you so much for this conversation. We covered a lot of ground, I think, in a short period of time. Um, author of Lead, Speak, Inspire, runs a consulting business out of Frankfurt, Germany. And I am delighted that after 2015, you were very good at memory, that memory of 2015. I, I was not sure of the year exactly, but um, and that we were able to catch up this year while in, I was in Germany. So thank you for this conversation. It's been brilliant. I have to thank you. It was a great pleasure. And uh, I hope we keep in close touch. And it's beautiful to exchange ideas. And I know we went very, very broad. And my apologies for that. No. It was, you, I, I loved it. I enjoyed it. But, well, I'm going to consider it as a table of contents for a series. <laughs> that we can we can do where we can connect and dive into each one of those subjects as there's there's yes. a lot there yes. but thank you for your time let's do that thank you next level experience design podcast is presented by vmsd magazine and smart work media it's hosted and executive produced by me david kepron our original music and audio production by Kano Sound. Make sure to tune in for Dialogues on Data, Design, Architecture, Technology, and the Arts wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And make sure to visit vmsd.com and look for the tab for the podcast there too. Also, remember you'll always find more information with links to content that we've discussed, contact information for our guests, and more in the show notes for each episode.